welcome back to the Football Diary podcast and Happy New Year to you, wherever you are watching or listening to this, whether that be YouTube or Spotify, on the go. Um, I'm joined by Miles today. Um, Dave's off with a, a bad throat, probably just from shouting at the screen from the Man United Wolves game, probably. <laughs> uh, but how are you, mate? How's things? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, mate. It would have been nice to see Villa get off to a better start, but uh, other than that, all good, man. I'm good. You'd be pleased to hear we're not going to delve too much into Villa today. If at all, <laughs> all of the conversation is going to be about probably the title race and the top of the table and the changes that have happened in the last week since we spoke, because everything has changed. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the relegation zone as well and what that means. And some transfer news, because there's a few uh, stories coming through now about who's going where in this transfer window. So plenty to mm -hmm. talk through. But should we talk about the title race that is now dead and buried? After City have stretched ahead to a 10-point lead somehow, points dropped by all of their major rivals in the last week. I've never seen this before of you, where one team has stretched so far ahead at this stage of the season to the point where you can't see them being caught. Can you? Can you see anybody catching City now? No, I think we've we've seen that before in the Premier League, but just not when it looked like it was going to be such an exciting race. It really looked like there were three teams in it. And yeah. look, there is still a lot of football to be played. I can't see anyone catching City, no, but you never know. It's a, it's such a weird season where you're only a couple of COVID cases away from some major players being missing. Obviously, Liverpool and Chelsea will both lose players to AFCON as well, which is mm. a massive, massive loss. And Liverpool are already battling with COVID as well. I mean, their, their semi-final with Arsenal has been postponed this week. It's a big deal. Obviously, Chelsea are in one tonight. Uh, against Spurs as well, so it's going to be an interesting running still. But it does it does completely look like City of front front runners now. They're they're going to walk away yeah. with it. Aren't they? Well, they played Arsenal, didn't they, at the uh, at the New Year games round of games, and they they kind of comfortably won that game. And Arsenal were actually playing very well up until obviously a red card for Gabriel. But Man City never really got out of third gear, and I think that's the worrying thing for the rivals. Mm -hmm. Arsenal were giving it everything. And to their credit, they could have stole the game had it not changed the way it did, had yeah. decisions gone their way earlier. But City mm -hmm. didn't really give their all, I don't think. They looked a little bit tired, not as much as some of the other teams, but mm -hmm. they're still winning these kind of big games at a canter. That's got to be worrying, surely. Yeah, it was such an interesting game. I actually really, really enjoyed this game. It was it's probably one of my favorite games of the season, just because it was it had a lot of narrative to it. It was very entertaining. There were obviously some, some big decisions that Arsenal fans would argue all went against them, some of them wrongly, some of them rightly. But you're right, City just didn't really seem like Man City, but they didn't need to. They, they I kind still of like this Man City, though. The, the Man City that just dominates, I don't think anybody likes. To see a bit of jeopardy there makes it a bit more interesting, really, in some ways. Yeah, it did. And that, it, it came mainly from just a really poor back line as well. They, yeah. they kind of lacked intensity in midfield and Arsenal dominated there. Thomas Partey had probably his best game in an Arsenal shirt in the first half. And then their defence just was so weak. Laporte just seemed like he was on a mission to, to give Arsenal as many chances as he could. I mean, Nathan Ake saved his bacon at one point by clearing it off the line from a really poor header backwards, which Martin Ali really should have buried a rebound for. And then all of a sudden, Arsenal are 2-1 up again. And this is just before the red card. It was a really frantic game. I, I don't know whether Arsenal fans will feel more encouraged from their first half performance for the rest of the season or more worried by them being very Arsenal in the second half for the rest of the season because that game was theirs 
I don't think you can say they would have stolen a result. I, they were completely in control of the game. They were yeah. 1-0 up. They were playing very good attacking football, causing City a lot of problems. And then Granite Xhaka just does what Xhaka does. And you can say that Bernardo Silva went down far too easily. That doesn't mean it wasn't a foul. I, no. I can't understand why someone who is in one of your leadership roles in the club is a very experienced player in that team, considering how young it is, thinks that he can get away with either of the decisions he makes. He steps completely across the player and then grabs all of his shirt. In an age with VAR, you're never getting away with that. His protests afterwards were a joke because, yeah, Silver has made an absolute meal of it, but it doesn't matter. You've, You've done something stupid. And then... It was like Gabriel was on a mission to save Xhaka from being the most stupid decision in the game. He then scuffed the penalty spot up and got a yellow for that. Didn't bother Mar as he still scored. Two minutes later, he puts in... A, it was just a silly challenge on the halfway line that you're always going to get booked for. And he's fresh in the ref's mind from recently being booked, and he does it again. From that point on, it was obvious City were going to get a winner. Probably an unlikely scorer, but it just shows the depth they've got, doesn't it? They managed yeah. to win that game without Phil Foden, without Jack Grealish. Rodri's getting a goal late on, which is obviously crucial to them potentially winning a title. So, yeah, yeah City, City, if they can win games like that without even having to really turn up in the end, I, I can't see anyone challenging them there. No, 10 points seems a mountain, doesn't it, at the minute? I mean, yeah. we've had bigger leads in the past at this stage of the season that have been caught up. But I think that's the thing with this City team. They seem so far ahead of the rivals at the minute. And I think they're going to lose Mares to the AFCON and that's it, as far as I'm aware. I think um, so. The other team's going to be hit harder. So yeah. it's going to be tough. But Arsenal, just credit to them. I think they've got the right idea and you can see the challenge they put up was so much more than they have against, say, Arsenal, uh, Liverpool recently because they got absolutely trounced in that game. Yeah. But... Their newer players, their younger players, are the ones that are doing that. So Martinelli mm. looks fantastic. Obviously, yeah. Smith Rowe and Saka have been on form all season. Saka's incredible. Yeah, but yeah. then then Jacker comes into the <laughs> equation. He's the old Arsenal and representative mm. of the old Arsenal. It must be so frustrating for Arsenal fans to see the game undone like that. The only player contrary to that is Lacazette, who has come back into the side, replacing Aubameyang and been fantastic because he does look like the experienced head in the team. He does look like the one who's going to lead from the front. And he seems to be working really well with Martinelli and Saka. So that's encouraging. But then even he might be leaving at the end of the season. He's out of contract. So uh, Arsenal are looking at losing Aubameyang, Lacazette and Ketia. All of them could be gone by the end of the season. They're now letting Balogun go out on loan as well. So... It is a promising start for Arsenal, but it would worry me to see the kind of same old Arsenal problems coming up. You've not managed to sort out contracts with four key players, really. You're going to end up with no strikers. There's a lot of talk of who they might bring in in the market, but I don't necessarily trust any of those things to happen. You then see on the pitch that even when they do perform well, silly, silly decisions where players lose their heads have cost them a really valuable three points. And when you see that Spurs are two points behind them with two games in hand, West Ham obviously won at the weekend there, now only a point behind them again. I think Man United are four points behind with one game in hand. So it's going to be tight with Arsenal. If they can play like they played for that first half for the rest of the season, they could, they'll get top four. If they don't do that and they play like they did in the second half, they'll drop off by a mile. I think the players potentially leaving on a free is a thing of the past. I honestly feel like there's a good vibe in the place now and that's the biggest difference between old mm. Arsenal and the current Arsenal. 
fans have taken some winning over though with Arteta, but yeah. his, his signings are coming good, which we've said before. So mm. I don't think they'll lose any players the way they have in the past. Um, mm. So I reckon they'll they'll sort the contract situations out, definitely. The title race, on the other hand, City, I mean, they've got Chelsea, I think, next in the league. There's a break for the FA Cup. Yeah. So Chelsea City is now literally must win for Chelsea. Yeah. They cannot do anything yes. but win. So pressure, massively pressure on, on Chelsea now, as if it wasn't bad enough anyway. They caught pulled back a 2-0 deficit against Liverpool to draw two all in their game, which was another mm. absolute blockbuster, wasn't it? Yeah. But there's problems at Chelsea, isn't there? It doesn't look all right there, does it? Well, there was a lot to take from this game. Obviously, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about Lukaku in a second, but from on the pitch, there there is still issues at Chelsea. They've been hit massively with injury and COVID over the last month or so, and that's affected their running and why they're so far behind City now. Because let's not forget, they were top of the league for, for quite a while. Yeah. So it is, it is difficult to judge this Chelsea team based on the fact that it's just been such a weird season. But the Liverpool game was really interesting. It was... A, it was, it was so end-to-end, it wasn't football. It was like watching basketball instead. It was just, it was frantic in the first half, but it was great to watch. They can feel slightly hard done by, to be honest, because six seconds in, Liverpool should have been down to 10 men. I, I can't get my head around why Mane's got away with that, other than the fact that the ref just didn't want to ruin the game. And he kind of yeah. bottled it, to be honest. If that happens in any other phase of play or any other part of the match, he's, he's off. Because... Enough. It, yeah, he is watching the ball, but it's just a really unnatural jump. If you jump high, your elbows come out here, but then they end up here. One of his arms was like this. It's just it's caught us like about straight in the face. It was it was malicious if we're hundred percent honest. So I, I can't understand. If you give a yellow card for that, it's a red card. There isn't a yellow card for that. He either didn't mean it. It either wasn't a, a cynical challenge, and therefore it's a foul when you move play on, or. Yeah. It's a deliberate act and it's a red card. So for him to then go on and score as well, Chelsea can feel hard done by for that. But the good thing for Chelsea is even in the absence of some very key players, there are other players stepping up. I mean, who would have predicted Kovacic scoring that goal? He's not a goal scorer, but he's having a great season again. He looks really, really strong in that Chelsea midfield. So there's hope for Chelsea as much as there's hope for anyone right now. I still think it's now cities to lose, but I wouldn't worry too much about them as long as they can get a few little things sorted. There's obviously talk of Luca Dean coming in to replace Ben Chilwell while he's injured, and that'll add them some depth as well. We'll see with Chelsea, but I wouldn't worry too much about them other than what's going on off the pitch, really. Yeah, they're not losing games. I think that's the main thing. But Mm. drawing feels like a loss, I think, when you're in a title race like this. You have to keep winning points so mm-hmm. and there's obviously as you've alluded to already a bit of background noise as well with with Romelu Lukaku who has given an interview what three weeks ago yeah. um in Italy about <laughs> the situation at Chelsea about his love for Inter and it's been brought out now the timing of it's not great I think the club are more fuming at the timing of it than the actual comments by the sound of it aren't they mm-hmm. but that wasn't his decision let's face it mm-hmm. however Tuchel's dropped him for this massive game mm-hmm. Did he make the right decision? Is Lukaku right to say these things the way he has? Is this something that Chelsea can do without? Probably yes. What's your take on it? It's such a bizarre scenario because I've never seen a player talk like Lukaku did, if I'm honest, about another club. 
and about his own club so soon after joining as well. Because remember, the whole noise was Lukaku wants to be back at Chelsea because he supports Chelsea. They were his dream club when he was a teenager. Mm. And he talked more than just about Inter as well. At one point, he was talking about big moves to Real Madrid, Barcelona and Bayern Munich as well. It was it was a very odd interview. Now, he's obviously come out today with a big apology, which he had to. Like yeah. he, he wasn't getting back into the team without it. So you, you have to read into that what you will. He says that it was never about insulting Chelsea or being disrespectful to Chelsea. It was more about apologising to the Inter fans, who responded, by the way, by a load of graffiti and banners saying, you didn't stay with us through the... You said you'd, you'd fight through a storm for us, but you didn't even stay when it started raining or something like that, which yeah. I think is hilarious. So they're happy to be rid of him as well. It's such a shame because Lukaku had really built his reputation back up he had that horrible time towards the end of his Man United tenure and then and then came into Inter, reinvented himself, is an incredibly good forward. Yeah. He's had injury problems at Chelsea, but now this is what his season is going to come down to. He will be back because he's Chelsea's most expensive signing ever. They can't afford to not play him. Also, they've got enough injuries that they really need him right now. So he will integrate back in. I don't think Tuchel could have played him. How weak right. Tuchel would have looked if he'd just been like, oh, no, it's fine, yeah, say what you want, and then you can play in this game because it's a big game. I don't know. The whole thing was a bit of a mess, to be honest. You understand yeah. that he's going to have a soft spot for Inter because it did reinvent his career there. But you know this within football. That love has got to kind of be secondary when you're at a new club. You've, you've got to focus on, on your job. If I, if I changed my job now and spent the entire time talking about my previous employers, I can't imagine it would go down very well. And that's no. basically what he's done. So, I don't it's know. It's misread the room, hasn't it? Like, the mood of the fans of both sides, of Inter and of Chelsea, has completely misread them. It's an absolute yeah, yeah. PR disaster to yeah. say the things he said, the way he said them. And, yeah, you could argue that the timing was actually three weeks ago. But is the context any different? No, not mm. really. You know, Chelsea was still kind of struggling a little bit three weeks ago. They were still stringing yeah. together a few draws every now and again. Um, yeah. Let's not forget, he's not been in the team much, mainly because he's been injured for a bit of it. So yeah. there's been there's been a few kind of where Chelsea have had their hand forced. I get that he probably thinks that his best position and his best, um, I don't know, way of being used in the attack is not the way Chelsea have been using him up to now. He wants to yeah. be an out-and-out goal scorer. And to be honest, when he was with Belgium at the Euros... Mm. We were raving about Lukaku and yeah, how he was yeah. back on his form and he looked really world, like a world beater, didn't he? Yeah. And the Inter has had the season of his life. So it is disappointing, I think, from fans as well to see not that version of him, but he's in a new team. He's got to earn the yeah. right to sort of be where he wants to be, really, hasn't he? Well, that's kind of what Tuchel said today. And I thought Tuchel's comments today were really interesting. He said, yeah, he's apologised. He's back in training. Everything's fine. But then they obviously kept asking Tuchel about his comments. And one yeah. thing Tuchel says was, I don't really get what he's talking about with this whole system thing. It's not like he's a versatile player that I'm playing out of position. He's a number nine. So I'm going to play him as a number nine. There is no system about it. And I thought that was a really interesting comment because I thought there is definitely ways to play with your number nine that could change, but fair enough. And I just yeah. thought it said a lot for Tuchel saying, no, this is my method and that's what I'm going to stick with. And he, yeah. he said the same, that it's going to take him time to adjust back into the Premier League, into a new team. And that's true. But actually, he was doing so pretty well. I know he had a bit of a spell where he didn't score before his injury. But if you remember, when he first came back into the team, he looked outstanding. He yeah. came back from injury and scored against, in, against Villa. Then he scored in the next game as well. So 
I'm sure he'll be fine, Lukaku. He's not going to go anywhere in January. He's definitely not going to go anywhere in the summer either. He'll be at Chelsea for another couple of years at least. Yeah, I think so. I don't think he's got many options, to be fair. He's one of the most <laughs> valuable players in world football. So where he goes, it depends on who can afford him and who needs him, really. Yeah. Um, having said that, I'm pleased that Tuchel dealt with it the way he did. Um, my worry is that Tuchel's time at Chelsea will be shorter than Lukaku's. And I love Thomas Tuchel. Yeah. I think he's a fantastic coach. For me, he's probably the number one coach in world football at the moment. The way he's delivered success at uh, Chelsea, he should have been given that kind of chance to do it at PSG. They'd be in a much better mm. position now if he was. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's the right man for that job. And I think that was a real test of sort of player power mm. versus manager power at that particular club. Yeah. And I think he came out on top. I think the fans seemed yeah. to be really back in the team against Liverpool. You could see they came out in force, mm. supporting him almost by mm. not mentioning Lukaku, not really raising any questions about why he wasn't in the team. I think they agreed with the decision on the whole. Yeah. And to the fact that they still managed to get a two-all draw without probably their talisman and their record signing mm. says a lot of their depth for their depth, really, doesn't it? So. Happy yeah. for Tuchel to have come out like he has. And I think it was the right thing to do. And the reaction of Chelsea fans kind of justifies that in some ways. Yeah, definitely. And it was it was such an interesting game to watch. And Chelsea probably could have had more from it. I mean, Liverpool had moments where they could have taken more from it. But it's hard to read too yeah. much into Liverpool's performance when you know Mane should have been sent up as early as, as yeah. he should have been, really. I mean, Pulisic, obviously, is another really interesting player who's... He's got a real opportunity here with with the likes of Lukaku and Werner not being in the team. He can come a bit more central and score some more goals. And he probably should have scored at least two more in this game. So it was good for him to get his name on the score sheet. But I'd like to see some more consistency from him. I mean, we were both raving about Kai Havertz at the start of the season. And he's been quite quiet. And he started this game and didn't really do much either. So it's going to be an interesting one for both these sides. Obviously, Liverpool being hit with COVID and the African Cup of Nations now, probably more than anyone else when you look at who they're losing. It's going to be an interesting January for sure. And this next round of fixtures where if Liverpool do play without their, their two star players up front and Chelsea play Man City, we could, have, we could definitely have decided the title race by mid-January, which is a shame. Is that you basically saying Liverpool are the, in the weakest position out of the two of Chelsea and them to challenge for the title? Is it, if it's not a one-horse race, is it at most a two-horse race then, do you think? Uh, it's so hard to call because there's nothing to say that Liverpool can't be in it because they've had a fantastic season as well. There's just yeah. gaps in that team. And with Salah and Mane not there in January, that will really, really put a stop to things. I mean, if they get all their games postponed because of COVID and get to play them when all their star players are back, then who knows? I don't think they're out of it either. It's just, it's going to be hard for anyone. The more points City have on the board, the harder it gets. So if Liverpool don't play their next fixture and Man City win, that game in hand means nothing. It's all yeah. of a sudden, it's really difficult to catch Man City up because the thing is, as good a side as Liverpool are, it's whether you can see Man City drop in 10 points between now and the end of the season. I'm not sure I can. They've just won, what, 12 in a row or something ridiculous. So, yeah, it's going to be tight. It's the psychology of it, I think. I think seeing a team tear away like that with no real challenge to them, no yeah. real sign of them losing momentum is just psychologically a difficult thing to watch as a rival, you know. Yeah. They look unstoppable at the minute. But I kind of feel like they've got some hit from COVID coming their way because they've rode their look pretty well so far. They've not had many absences, if any, I don't think. No one high profile. Yeah. Um, so if they get tested with people out and isolating and they have to suddenly call upon reserves and you young players really to fill the gap, will that kill their momentum a little bit? 
that's the only kind of hope you've got to cling to, really, as a neutral. The difficult thing with City is, even, like I said, at the weekend, they managed to play without Foden, without Grealish. They've just sold Ferran Torres. Obviously, they've still not replaced Aguero. And obviously, they'll be looking at Haaland in the summer. But I do wonder whether they might do some business in January as well. Because with Mahrez at AFCON, Ferran Torres gone, you do think who who's scoring City's goals? Who's their 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 main scorer now up front? Jesus drifts out wider, like Sterling gets goals. But it wouldn't surprise me to see City going for Vlahovic, for example, in, in yeah. January. We'll see. That that could be really interesting. So title races is, is not done. But it's certainly very difficult, really, to to change the momentum of City right yeah. now. That's that's what we're kind of saying, isn't it? Yeah. Which is crazy because a week ago we were actually still thinking about the title race as being an actual title race. So yeah. it's turned quite quickly, hasn't it? And at the bottom of the table too, just to touch on that as well, I honestly thought the relegation places were almost a foregone conclusion as well. Norwich, I think, are still dead and buried. Mm-hmm. They look awful. Yeah. Um, Dean Smith, if he had a honeymoon period, it's definitely over now. Yeah. Um, I think he's, he's unlucky. A few of his players just haven't turned up for him as well. It's not been an easy ride for him. I it's feel for him as well. Yeah, I feel for him. He picked the wrong job. He jumped straight into it, and I don't yeah. think he should have gone there next. But that's a whole other story, really. But Newcastle, is there hope for them, first of all? Um, but I want to start the conversation with Burnley and Leeds, because Leeds convincingly beat Burnley 3-1. And... Burnley had a lot of games in hand. And again, psychologically, you could say that's a, an advantage. But this Burnley are not very good, are they? They looked absolutely yeah. dreadful. And they've got Maxwell Corney going to the AFCON as well, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Their only creative outlet this season. Yeah, Burn- Burnley are such a frustrating thing to watch. And they have been for years. They're not good at football. Dyche will have them organised and has relied on the fact that he's had a very good goalkeeper and a good pair of centre-backs, really. And that's kind of it. Obviously, Chris Wood gets some goals every now and again, but they play dreadful football. Mm. They, they're not a good team to watch. And they've got by this season on the fact that somehow they managed to bring in Maxwell Corner. I don't know how they pulled that sign enough. How, what attracted him to Burnley? That's what I want to know. I want to know what he saw of Sean Dyche and thought, yeah, this is where I'll flourish. I mean, he's doing very well, but he could have gone to a much, much better club. He was doing well at Leon. He had a bit of an off time last season, but there was definitely enough stock in him that he could have got a better move than Burnley. So it definitely doesn't surprise me to see them where they are. Leeds, this was a huge result for because they looked like they were starting to maybe fall short again and maybe look a bit tired and leggy. They've obviously got key players back now other than Bamford and Phillips. So it was important for them to get this win. And they they did so pretty convincingly, to be honest, because they've just got more quality in their team like Burnley. I think that's the next question, is it? If you look at the teams that are just above the relegation zone, so you've got Watford, Leeds themselves, Everton have slid into the conversation. I think above that, everybody seems comfortably clear in terms of quality, especially. So I think Southampton are on, Villa are in, what, 13th now. So they look like they're going to stretch away. So it's literally those two, three teams. Watford, I think, could be dragged into it quite easily. They don't look that great. But who's the worst of that bunch? Who could you pick? It's, it's hard because Newcastle is such an unknown entity that we don't know what's going to happen with them in January. Obviously, yeah. we'll come to it later, I'm sure, but it looks like they've made one signing already and there's plenty more on the cards. Eddie Howe seems to be kind of getting a tune out of some of the players that weren't there before. They got a good point against Man United over this period as well. So Newcastle could find that they get their way out of it. Norwich definitely won't. 
Watford are way too reliant on Emmanuel Dennis, who they've managed to hold back from going to the African Cup of Nations, which is... Uh, it, it does frustrate me, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but it is worth noting that all the excitement that this country felt for the Euros, and then I understand that it's inconvenient to have a tournament in the middle of your domestic season, but my word, the lack of respect that the African Cup of Nations seems to be getting is it, yeah. it's, it's so bad. And Watford in particular seem really guilty because they've also stopped this man of Sargo in. I just think... For those players, if that's a decision they've made, it's disappointing. But if it's been taken for them, yeah. that's the pinnacle of your career. Playing an international tournament, look what it meant to, to the England fans to see their team get to a final. Yeah, How are you ever going to let football flourish in an environment if this is viewed as a secondary sort of competition? It's a real shame. I'm really glad that the likes of Salah and Mane are going, not because I want to see Liverpool's title race derailed, but because they are marquee names in not just African football, but world football right now. They should be yeah. representing their nation. And it's really important that that holds its credit and esteem, particularly when you're then coming onto a World Cup year where this is the most tournament football a lot of these African teams are going to get for a long time. And the bigger ones that are going to be at the World Cup, this is their preparation. And now you're saying Emmanuel Dennis isn't going, Ismail Asar isn't going. And I just... The coverage of it is really embarrassing. The fact that managers are having to come out and talk about it even, it's not fair. So I kind of think Watford deserve to go down now, to be honest, with the way they've treated it. And they're not doing anything on the pitch to make me think that they won't. So Norwich, Watford, Burnley look pretty certain to me, to be honest. Yeah, Everton are the ones I would worry about the most. I honestly think they're looking at getting rid of Luca Dean, which is ridiculous. He's clearly one of their best players in the squad. Even if Calvert-Lewin is, is getting back to fitness now, it's going to take him a while to get up to speed and they've got nothing behind him to make me think that they're going to move forward. They need to invest heavily in January and I don't think that will happen. So, Well, Everton haven't got money to invest. I think they've that, that's the reason they are where they are. They've invested yeah. so poorly over the last few years and you go back to sort of the, the Koeman era and they just spent mm. ridiculous amounts of money on absolute mediocre players and they're paying yeah. the price now, I think. Even up yeah. until Ancelotti's reign, they were spending some serious money, weren't they, on on wages more than anything. Um, James yeah. Rodriguez was a weird one as well. Like that must have cost the club an absolute fortune to get not much out of him. So but that's, that's, what that's what I don't understand. They they look like they were making progress under Ancelotti in terms of their transfer acquisition. Because you're right, under Kuman, it was basically just throw money at some pretty average players. Yeah. And and that'll work. If you think of the likes of David Clarsen, they spent 50 million on Gilfie Sigurdsson. And obviously that's a complicated story now, but it's a lot of yeah. money. They spent 40 million on Alex Awobi or something ridiculous. Richarlison was crazy money as well. But then at least when Ancelotti was there, yeah, they brought in James Rodriguez, who would have been on a lot of wages, but he's a very good footballer. And Rafa just outed him. They brought in Alan, who's a very good player. Luca Dean is a I think he's a world-class left back. I think there yeah. are very few left-backs as good as him in the league. And he's just been outed from the team. So Rafa, Rafa needs to go from there. It's it's completely the wrong job for him. If you look at how loved he was at Newcastle, he's still a very good manager. This is completely the wrong club for him. He's got yeah. no money. The fans don't have time for him because they all associate him with Liverpool still. He clearly isn't getting on with the squad properly. And there's a lot of there's a disharmony amongst some key figures. They could find themselves in real trouble if they're not careful. 
yeah, I think being pulled into that um, potential relegation scrap is a real thing, a real prospect for Everton. Um, I'm not unhappy about that. I don't like the way they've operated in the last few years. I think they kind of deserve a bit of a reset or at least a scare of some kind. Um, And I think Watford are the same, really. I think Watford deserve to go down. I think the disrespect of the African Cup of Nations is is gross. It really is. Um, Mm. It's it's not something you ever see from many other tournaments of a similar kind. Like the Copper America went ahead as normal. Yeah. And the only headlines that made was that there were COVID restrictions at the time for some players. So it was just oh. a kind of a footnote, really. But nobody thought that it shouldn't be going ahead, despite it being in the middle of a season. So, yeah, it got, it's got to be just disrespect for the competition itself, hasn't it? Beyond that as well, you think about the players that were gone for the Olympics uh, and they came to the season late. I mean, yeah. Villa have played with Emi Martinez in goal when he's got off a flight back from Argentina at four o'clock that morning this season, yeah. like international football hasn't been necessarily the most convenient for the club football this season, but it doesn't really matter. Now, in, in the only thing I'd say in Watford's defence is it's not the only case of this. I remember Ferguson notoriously being against international football for a really long time. I mean, you only need mm. to look at the caps for Wales Ryan Giggs has. Like international football is not everyone's priority. I understand that, but I just feel like you, you're limiting a, development of football culture in a really rich environment and that's that's problematic to me but to be honest take that out of it Watford aren't good enough to stay in the Premier League anyway Emmanuel Dennis has got is responsible for I think 58% of their goals yeah. if that's one player that's and that, you're not scoring a lot of goals that's that's difficult isn't it well you could kind of see why they're hanging on to him in some ways because it's, it could potentially cost them millions in TV money next season if they slide into the the championship again. Yeah. But um arguably on the way they've been playing that's where they deserve to be. Which brings yeah. me on to the next question of Claudio Ranieri. Is his head on the chopping block already because he's lost what five six in a row now? That's that's poor form. <sighs> Who knows with Watford probably yeah but it was probably on it from the game he started. Yeah. He's he came into the club at a horrible time where he didn't have the transfer window. They did not have a good enough squad. The run of fixtures he had to start his Watford career were absolutely awful. He got a couple of good performances out of them then, but I just don't know what Watford expect. What's the point in sacking Ranieri? They sack Ranieri, they bring the next person in. He also does badly with them because they're a badly run club with a bad team. And so who would they go for as well? Exactly. Would they just bring back Nigel Pearson again, or who knows? You know, go for it, Steve Bruce for for some a relegation scrap? I mean, what's the alternative to to Claudio Ranieri? That's their level, surely at the minute. They've run out of options. They're already hiring the same people back, aren't they? They've already had people in for two spells within five years. So the, the rate that they go through managers, who knows? I, I'm not bothered if Watford get relegated. They're not a Premier League team in my mind. They're not run like a Premier League team. I'd yeah. I'd be happy to see them go. To be honest, I think it'll be. Norwich, Watford, and probably Burnley. Yeah, I think you're right about Burnley. I think they've probably outstayed their welcome in the Premier League anyway. I don't think anybody yeah. likes the way they play. I think they've been very lucky to um, to get by the way they've been playing in recent years. I think it's rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way, but they've worn it like a badge of honour. But yeah. it's caught up with them, just a real lack of quality. They've just got no blood. nobody there that stands out apart from Corney. You could probably say Chris Wood is a decent player. Yeah. You know? Right, he's good. Um, he's good at what Chris Wood does. He's he, he yeah. wouldn't. He's not going to be compared to any other number nine in the Premier League. Really, he just does what Chris Wood does. I think everyone in every neutral in the Premier League is praying for some sort of miracle where Norwich survive, so we can see Newcastle, Burnley, and Watford go down. I think everyone would take that right now. 
Absolutely. But then I think Norwich deserve to go as well because of the lack of ambition they've showed from day one, you know, getting yeah. rid of, uh, well, not getting rid of, but allowing Buendia to leave and, you know, not really backing Farker in the in the transfer window with the right kind of players. Yeah, so many mistakes and such a lack of ambition. They deserve to go. But yeah. um, Newcastle are an interesting one because you could kind of almost see them escaping relegation. I mean, they're unlucky with Callum Wilson's injury, but they yeah. could probably invest in January in this, this transfer window. And they already have started to with Kieran, Kieran Trippier being confirmed. So do you think they've got potential to escape this? They're only on 11 points. You know, they're not in a very good position. They'd have to go on a really good run of form. Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible because they can catch Watford. Like, that, that's pretty easy for them to do. I don't think they're that far behind. I can't remember any points Watford are on now, to be honest. Only, they're only on a couple ahead. With their, but that's, that's it, really. Two ahead, I think. And they've got a game in hand. Watford, that's the key thing. That'd be fine. But are they going to win that game in hand, you know? Exactly. That's the thing. When you're down the bottom, it's a, if you can put good form in, it's easy to catch people up. It's not like when we talk about the 10 points between City and Chelsea, because City won't drop 10 points. Watford will drop four points. Watford yeah. will drop more, much more than that, to be honest, over the season. So Newcastle can... Aside from that, yeah, they haven't got necessarily the results that they would have wanted in all of their games so far, but you can see things working. All of a sudden, Joel Linton looks a different player. John Joe yeah. Shelby looks a bit stronger as well. Kieran Trippi is a really, really interesting sign-in and is a statement of intent, definitely, because although he's getting a bit older, he's not past his best by any means. He's having a very good time at Atletico Madrid. He's been one of their better players this season. And this is a team that have just won La Liga as well. So it's really interesting to see him come back. Considering, I think Man United were talking about 40 million in the summer, and that yeah. was another. And Newcastle have now gone for 12 in January. He's obviously made it clear that that's where he wants to be. So that could be a real, a real swing for them. And also, you start to see the ball rolling. Once one big name comes in, it starts to look more attractive to the other. So we sure. saw today that Max Allegri said that Aaron Ramsey is leaving. He, that was it. He didn't say, oh, we, we're looking at what's happening with this player. He said, Aaron Ramsey's on his way out. This is my yeah. squad. Maybe Aaron Ramsey will be attracted to the prospect of moving back to the Premier League, making some money at Newcastle. So there's Amazing. there's players on the market right now that are of a quality that will definitely get Newcastle higher up in the league. It's whether those players are used to the kind of relegation scrap or not, whether they kind of are aware of the job that they're getting themselves in for. Because do you remember QPR? Yeah, it's not that long since QPR were one of the richest clubs in the world, and they yeah. signed every player under the sun. It didn't work. They still got relegated eventually. So Newcastle got to be careful not to fall into that trap and build steadily. So I think Trippy is a smart signing. Yeah, and we were talking about how City Chelsea um, in a couple of weeks' time is must win. The next game for Watford is Newcastle at St mm. James's Park. So yeah. that same weekend is going to be a, a fantastic weekend of football, I think, and a lot of dec decisive matches there to, yeah. to really tell us what's happening next. And uh, assuming Newcastle beat Watford, which seems likely, you know, that's really going to change the landscape of that bottom three because Watford will be into it all of a sudden and they don't look like they're going to be able to escape, really, do they? Well, they might do some business in January as well. They've got a new manager. That's, I think it's easy to forget that Ranieri obviously hasn't been there that long. Well, it's not easy to forget that at Watford, I suppose. But he's not at a transfer window yet. So he might come in and say he wants his own players bringing in and that could change Watford's fortunes. But yeah. I doubt it. It just seems, 
I know people have said it a lot about Norwich, but I think you could accredit it to a lot of teams down there. There's so many teams that just show no ambition this season. Yeah. It's like they don't care. Watford don't seem to be bothered by if they go down, neither do Norwich. But mm. Burnley aren't doing anything either. Burnley got new owners as well. Yeah. And they put in Maxwell Corner, and that was it. And they're looking at losing Tarkovsky now and potentially Ben Mee as well. So they mm. could fall apart. I think teams like Leeds and Everton can count themselves lucky that there are four very bad teams underneath them. Yeah, quite clear as well. And that's the thing yeah. with Burnley. If they were to spend money, who would they go out and get? Because their record oh, no. in transfer market has been, what, championship level players with a yeah. bit of potential maybe? Or, mm. or you know, team players from teams that have been relegated from the Premier League, yeah. try and give them a chance for £8 million or something. They've mm. not really had much ambition in the transfer market mm. ever, I don't think. No. Cornet accepted, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, they're, in terms of the worst teams in the Premier League, I think they are the worst three. And I think Newcastle will probably escape, um, which is great news for Newcastle fans because it means they don't have to dwell in the Championship for another season. You know, They can actually get this project up and running. But that also makes you feel a bit sick as a neutral as well because they will probably throw some money around in the summer if they do stay up, which yeah. is uh, you know quite daunting for the rest of the Premier League. But yeah. in terms of transfer news... Other ones that have been confirmed, I think, is Ainsley Maitland-Niles on loan for the rest of the season to Roma. So mm -hmm. Jose Mourinho continues to capture English talent. What's your thoughts on that one? It's an interesting one, really, because he's not had a huge amount of game time at Arsenal, has he, so far? It's interesting because he's known as a very versatile player because he can cover so many positions. But he said yeah. from day one he wants to play in centre midfield. I can't see him playing in centre midfield for Roma because they've got a lot of players occupying those positions already that are kind of high calibre. Brian Cristante, Jordan Veratu, Pellegrini can drop deeper there as well, Diawara. So I don't know where he fits into the starting eleven, but I like it. I like it as a move. I think yeah. it's nice, again, to see English players taking a chance on going abroad. Mourinho is obviously a very recognised name in this country and he's getting good things out of Tammy Abraham. So... It's not unrealistic that he could do the same for Maitland-Niles. I don't think it makes a lot of sense for Arsenal right now because although he's not getting much game time, you have to look at the fact that Partey is going to the African Cup of Nations. So they're only an injury or two away from being quite light in midfield. So I think it's an interesting decision to let him go. But I agree. yeah, I, there's no option to buy either, apparently. Well, that was my thought was next. Is he the kind of the new Joe Willock? Is he the one they're going to let slip out for a, a poor kind of fee and maybe make the move permanent if he impresses while he's out there, which is a good chance he could. Mm. I'm not sure. I just, it's hard to work out where he's going to play. That'll be the most interesting thing. If he sits yeah. in a, a right back all of a sudden and he's happy to play there, then, then fair enough. It might make a bit more sense. But I, it's good to see him being ambitious enough to make the move Definitely. Is it the smartest move from both clubs involved? I'm not sure, but I can see why Mourinho would want him. He's versatile. He can be quite combative as well, but he's a very intelligent footballer. So Mourinho could get a tune out of him. So we'll see how that one goes. Yeah, another big one that's kind of not confirmed yet, but it's this rumblings of it, and you've already messaged me about it so far. Um, do you want to talk us through the prospect of Philip Coutinho's return to the Premier League and his next possible destination? So apparently there are five clubs in for him. A few days ago, all the talk was obviously Newcastle because Newcastle are linked with everyone and their dog right now. Spurs were big front runners for him. Arsenal were being linked as well. And then there was talk of one of either Liverpool or Everton. Then all of a sudden today, just out of absolutely nowhere, it's 
looking very likely. I think they're two to three on most uh, betting sites right now that Coutinho is on his way on loan for the rest of the season to Aston Villa. And I, I, <laughs> it's hilarious. This is That's a player so... that we brought in 40 million a couple of seasons ago. So apparently Steven Gerrard's been on the phone to his old teammate and said, come on, come and join me over here. I think it makes perfect sense because yeah. Villa are at a level where they're really trying to build something. They want to move forward. They want to try and push for a European place, if not this season, next season. Gerrard likes to play with a system where there's kind of two attacking players behind the striker. Yeah. So it would make a lot of sense to have Buendia and Coutinho occupying those roles. He would be that kind of talisman to replace Jack Grealish at last as well. So... I am all in on this. I, if it doesn't happen now, I'm going to be absolutely gutted because he's a marvellous player. It's not worked out from at Barcelona, but we've seen glimpses when he went over to Bayern Munich that there's still a fantastic player in there. I cannot imagine anyone better for him to come and work under than Steven Gerrard right now because if what he needs is motivation, Gerrard will get that out of him. I think it's perfect. It's not too high profile where he's just going for money and name. It's not going to a Champions League club for the sake of being at a Champions League club. He's gonna, he's willing to go back and build, and I'm really happy yeah. with that. So we'll see. I've seen very reliable sources who usually get a lot of stuff right about Villa saying yeah. it's going to be done within the next day or two. So hopefully, well, United, Coutinho will be playing. The last time he went on loan was obviously to Bayern Munich, where yeah. he won the Champions League. So he played really well in that situation. The only question marks mm -hmm. I've got about him are his his ability. I mean, has it diminished since he's been there? Because he's not played as much as he probably would have liked. Um, his confidence, of course, that needs to be built up. And like you say, I think Gerard is probably the right kind of coach to get that out of him. Uh, but also, has he got much motivation left to kind of compete? Because mm. that kind of experience he's been through must have really yeah. taken a toll on him. You know, he was at his absolute peak of his powers with a, what not quite a record transfer fee because we were talking Neymar times, weren't we? Mm. Then, but second to Neymar in terms mm. of the biggest transfer ever. Mm. So, talk about reputation being right up there. No disrespect to Aston Villa, it's quite a <laughs> come down, isn't it? It, it? it is an odd move if you put it like that, but. Like I said, if you need to build your reputation back up, you want to do it in the right environment. And I think Gerard will create the right environment for him. And that's really important. He just needs someone to put their arm around him and say, you're yeah. my player and I'm going to get the best out of you. That's not happened for him at Barcelona the entire time he's been there. It was the wrong move in the first place. He, he was never going to replace Messi. They brought in Griezmann not long after. It was it was yeah. such an odd decision to bring him in on such big money in the first place that it was kind of destined to fail. And you're right, he went to Bayern Munich and he wasn't their main man either, but he did a good job. He came on in the Champions League and scored against Barcelona, which was fantastic. Now, I can say with some confidence he won't win the Champions League on this loan spell, but <laughs> I do think he could achieve quite a lot and I'm quite excited to see it, to be honest. I think... Look, we, we, you can't doubt his talent. We saw what he can do in the Premier League as well. He's got an absolute yeah. wonderful effort. So I would love to see him playing for Villa, to be honest. And I, I think it makes sense. And it won't be the only business we do, by all accounts. There's a lot of talk that we're looking at um, uh, Talia Fico from Ajax as well, the Argentinian left-back, because we do need cover in that position. And another Champions League playing like player with pedigree. So yeah. not messing about. Villa have said they want to get into Europe. They've realised that letting Grealish go means we're one world-class player shorter than we were before. They need yeah. to get that back in. Otherwise, they, they just disappear into mid-table obscurity. We're not here for that. 
we want to push on. So yeah. let's see them do it. Big statement of intent, but I mean, yeah. financially, how would they? How is this going to be working? I wonder because I mean, Barcelona want to get a huge chunk of his wages off the wage bill because they're they're struggling, they're desperate. How much of that will Villa take? Do you think? Well, Barcelona are a joke, man. But they're an absolute joke. They're a club who are over a billion euros in debt. They've just taken out a loan to buy Ferran Torres, yeah. and they now can't register Ferran Torres until they let other players go. So they are desperate to get rid of people. So I, I, I'm not sure what deal they'll work out. Villa will be able to afford a lot, to be honest, because we've got the money. They will not pay all of Coutinho's wages. That, that, no. that will not happen. I imagine that one of the proposed reasons that Villa have moved forward is because they're willing to pay more than the likes of Arsenal or Spurs will on this player because they need yeah. him more, basically. So I, I think they will take a financial hit, but look at when Lingard went to West Ham and we all said, I can't believe how much money West Ham are paying to have a player on loan. And he completely transformed their season. So I'm not saying that Coutinho will come in, score the goals to get Villa into the Europa League, guaranteed. But who knows? It's not that far off, really. No. But, OK, question for you. We've talked about the combination of attack in the field for Villa and what their best combination is, what Gerard's most preferred combination would be. Yeah. Who misses out with Coutinho in the team? The wide players. So Gerard obviously wants to play the system where he plays two attacking midfielders behind the striker. He'll rotate that between Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings, depending on the opponent, I think. I don't think we'll see those two playing together very often. I mean, he's not going to do a Ranier can play a 4-2-2-2 because that's a shocking formation, apparently. Um, sorry, I had to get one dig in. Yeah. So I think it will probably be the likes of Leon Bailey and Traore, who probably are more coming off the bench to have an impact. Um, I hope it doesn't stunt the likes of Jacob Ramsey, who's finally sort of hitting some form. But he can probably play a bit deeper in the midfield. Maybe Emi Buendia will come in and out as well. But I can see it being Watkins or Ings up front with uh, Buendia and Coutinho kind of flanking him either side. And I think that makes sense. Or alternatively, you play Buendia one side, you play uh, Bailey on the other, and you play Coutinho down the middle. We'll see. It's that, it's that balance you're still trying to find, isn't it? But you can't argue that from a creative point of view, nobody's really replaced Grealish yet. Buendia's not really taken the role or, or found a role to suit him and the team. But I think Coutinho's the closest thing you're going to get to a, a Grealish replacement, isn't he, really? Albeit on loan, but yeah, what a start. If a player like that is available, you take him. And apparently there, there, there could be a, an option to buy at the end as well. I'd be really interested to see what that figure will be. Because when Barcelona paid so much money for him, they're never going to get anything like that back. But then they let Griezmann go on a free after the money they spent on him. So I, it's an interesting one. I think you have to go for it if it's available. He will fit into any kind of system that Aston Villa are going to play right now. So as much as it might feel like a, a, a bit of a shock move or a step down for him, it's a yeah. reputation builder for both both parties, really. All of a sudden, if the likes of Coutinho or Villa, we said the same about Newcastle. Who else will want to come and join him? That's a big statement. Gerard on his own is a name. So I'm excited by it. And I think if we can pull it off, I think it'd be the start of something rather than us concluding business. So that's, yeah, who knows? Yeah, hopefully not another Radmel Falcao type flop of a, of a loan <laughs> signing. Um, but no, I can't see anything but good for all parties, really. Smart move. Um, we'll talk about more transfer news when we, we talk next week, hopefully. Um, we've run out of time to talk about, you know, Villa, Brentford and, and United Wolves. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we, can't, we can't dwell on those defeats. So uh, can, we not even, 
Can we not even spare just 10 seconds for how good Villa's goal was? And we'll just pretend that was the only thing that happened. Amy Buendia <laughs> actually being brilliant and turning the defender like he wasn't there and Danny Ings finishing. That was all I wanted to see. And then we lost. But yeah, we lost. lost. Yeah. No then, Steven Gerrard on the touchline. Uh, did that have any part to play in it, do you reckon? Maybe. I don't know. We were rubbish in the second half. <laughs> good to see Brentford <laughs> performing, though. Even though it's against Villa, it's nice to see Brentford actually doing okay. I don't think they did. I think Villa were just really rubbish in the second half. They absolutely battered them in the first half. They were all over them. And in the second half, they just kind of gave up. It was rubbish. Okay. That's that match analysis over. I'm not talking about it anymore. <laughs> um, United Wolves, I will similarly skim over that because it was an absolute dreadful game. Um, but what I will say is just kudos to Phil Jones, really, making his comeback in the United first team to any kind of competitive football, really, mm. for the first time in over two years. Um I was one of the most vocal people really critical of his role in United's downfall over recent seasons. But I think the more you look at it in hindsight, you can see he was just a small part in an absolutely atrocious kind of like like capitulation of of the way things work at Old Trafford. You know, it's not anyone's fault, but he took a lot of a, a beating from the fans. And I think the ovation he got against Wolves at Old Trafford was quite touching. He's a guy who's been honest about his mental health struggles as well because of everything that's been thrown at him. You know, um, there's been a lot of abuse. He is in a testimonial season, but he said he doesn't want a testimonial because he's worried about the reaction he'll get. I think that's really sad. Mm. So on a personal level, to see him return and to see him do well, actually, in difficult circumstances and to get a reaction like that from the fans was really positive. It was the only positive thing to get from a United fans perspective on the night. So well played, Phil Jones. Yeah, he did do well. And actually, he had a really good game. It's it's one of the better performances I've seen him have in a United shirt. Um, yeah. But look, the thing is, he's probably not at Man United's level anymore. And he, he will move on. And that's okay. But United is a really hard club to be at for that. I mean, Lingard's mm. talked about it as well. When you are out of form, you are very easily mocked if you're a Man United player because the whole world of football is watching you. So. Yeah. I do think that it's a testament to his own personal and mental strength that he he has come back and played that game. And he, he did do very well. Obviously, his sort of defensive header led to the goal that Wolves score. But I don't think you can criticise him too much for it. And I think, yeah, I, I think all the best to him. He, I, he, look, he's not going to be Man United for very long, is he? Let's be honest. But in the meantime, he stepped in when he needed to. And that's all you could ask of a player like that. Yeah, I think when we saw the team sheet, there was a mixture of dread, first of all thinking about the way Phil Jones has played in the past, but also a kind of a little bit of, yeah, good for you, mate. You know, go out and yeah. improve yourself. And he absolutely did. He did tears at the end, bless him. He was leaving yeah. the pitch, got um, a round of applause from the United fans who, you know, were pretty angry at the team generally for the terrible performance. But he came out of it looking so much better and he will be, you know, much better for it, I think, as an individual. So, yeah, well played to Phil Jones. Yeah. Um, that's it now, mate, for, for this round of games. Um, thank you for watching. Um, again, if you want to support us, just hit the like button if you can. just helps with the YouTube algorithm so other people can see what you're watching. Um, and also, if you're listening on Spotify, thank you. We really appreciate it. Um, we're hoping to grow in the new year. We've been running for almost a year now. Um, it feels a lot longer, doesn't it? We've covered a lot of football in that time. It's been a, it was a bit of a mad year, 2021, really, when you look back at it. There was so much going on football-wise with like the Euros, the Super League, yeah. COVID. It's been an interesting one. Ronaldo's in the Premier League again. So, yeah, it's been nice to talk about it with you and Dave and, and John and Chris and whoever has watched us for the last year. So, 
let's uh, let's look forward to 2022 man yeah definitely it's going to be a big one for us hopefully a big good one for you but happy new year to everybody who's watching and thank you for your time once again mate pleasure as always and i'll speak to you soon see you later cheers mate <laughs>